we're here today with Ron Corson, Executive Associate Athletic Director, Sports Medicine for the University of Georgia, and Glenn Henry, Emergency Medical Services Consultant for the University of Georgia. Both are well qualified to speak on today's topics of emergency preparation and response. So welcome, Ron and Glenn. Uh, we'll discuss emergency preparation in sports to make the athletic arena the safest place to play. This will not prevent all injuries, but athletic trainers, EMS, and all involved in sports need to have a plan in place and practice that plan should an emergency arise. So, Ron and Glenn, why is it important to get a buy-in by all and rehearse this emergency action plan from a venue-specific viewpoint on a regular basis? And any examples you can provide to encourage us to do this, on a, make it a regular part of our culture, um, and any basic components. So, gentlemen, fire away. Well, I think it's important to practice your EAPs, your emergency action plan, because that's where you're going to find where there's errors or things that you can do better. And also, when you practice this, you've got to bring all the participants together. And that involves even your EMS folks there, because if they uh, may come up and say, well, that ambulance won't fit through that gate or we're going to have access problems getting the stretcher to the patient or the equipment to the patient. If you're involved in the fire service in your local response, you know, a, an engine or a ladder truck is a lot bigger than an ambulance. So, again, it's very, very important to practice all your emergency responses beforehand. And it also gets buy-in from your local EMS services. And then it also establishes a relationship between your athletic trainers and the EMS uh, responders. If you think about sports, you know, we're used to everybody working as a team. So each player and each coach and everybody involved in the team works together as one for a collective goal. And the sportsman's team wants to be the same way, particularly from an emergency standpoint. You've got emergency medical technicians, paramedics, physicians, athlete trainers, nurses who are working together. And you also want to coordinate with local EMS, uh, with uh, your coaches, and make sure that you have a cohesive plan. So, uh, you know, and just like a team, you practice to make sure you're successful in the field. The sportsman's team has practically the same skills together, communicate and work together. Okay, let's uh, shift a little bit over, Ron, to uh, head injuries. We're now seeing more use of this guardian cap uh, in practice situations uh, in collision sports. So what's been your experience and lessons learned to this point? Um, because the NFL studies have shown a 10 15% reduction of impact by one player. And, and even how does this fit in with equipment removal? That's a great question. We've used the guardian cap in the University of Georgia. I'm on the NFL Health and Safety Committee, and and the data supports this. Again, if you can reduce uh, the force of the impact by 10%, that's significant over time with the number of impacts they may receive during practice or game. Uh, but I do think you have to be aware of it. From an equipment removal standpoint, if you have a head or a spine injury, the guarding cap typically covers the top part of the helmet. So uh, if you need to be aware of it, but if you're still maintaining C-spine control, stabilization, it doesn't impact that. You just need to be aware of the, of the grip, you know, making sure you have a secure grip and removing the helmet. It's something to be aware of, but I don't think it adversely impacts any equipment removal. So, Glenn, uh, athletic trainers often deal with uh, what we often see and respond to traumatic types of injuries, yet there's a medical side of the equation where a trauma can turn into a more of a medical condition in that. And what can you say to the athletic trainer to address to remember to address both. You talked about that a little bit in doing a serial evaluation um, uh, uh, as we evaluate these injuries. And what can the athletic trainer do in that eight to 10 minute response time sometimes for EMS when they may be in a practice type situation? 
I think just doing a comprehensive patient assessment, you know, doing that scene size up and then that primary assessment. And then if they have a medical patient or a trauma medical combined, a, a really good secondary survey. And if they're going to have that time, then it, it really needs to be a detail. If we're worried about respiratory, listen to those breath sounds, looking at that work of breathing. If they think it's diabetic, do we have a glucometer where we can actually check that blood sugar? Uh, if we think it's a cardiac, you know, having that AED there readily available. If we think it's a cardiac arrest or if they think that person needs to be placed on oxygen. And again, it's just if you don't do a good comprehensive, thorough patient assessment, then how are you going to plan to take care of your patient and do it correctly? Okay. Both of you have been, uh, unfortunately, very involved in some very critical uh, C-spine, uh, cervical spine management uh, of injuries and that. So what are some of your take-home messages perhaps in uh, the, the preparation or just being involved in that situation? Uh, Ron, you mentioned something about being very patient and very calm. Yeah, there's a saying, calm is contagious. And I think it's really pertinent with the emergency situation. You want to act rapidly, but you want to make sure that you don't move too fast. So take your time. Remain calm. And I think it goes back to practice. You know, uh, emergency medicine is something you practice because they're motor skills on a regular basis. And uh, how you differentiate between, you know, panic or fear of being calm is practice and feeling confident in it. So I think the more you can review your procedures and rehearse those techniques, when you have to use them in real life, it's going to help you remain calm because it's something, you know, it's a motor learning skill you practiced, you feel good about doing it. Okay. Um, any uh, recommendations? We athletic trainers often uh, talk about removing the equipment, not removing the equipment, and we're quick to judge what we might see on TV when we're really not right there in the situation. So what are some of your thought processes go into decision-making about removing or not removing the equipment? That's a great question. You know, when we came out with the spine injury group, uh, recommendations a couple of years ago, you wanted to present it more with concepts. You know, obviously at some point the equipment has to come off. Uh, it can come off at the hospital ED. It can come off on the scene. And I think there's some factors. Uh, number one is the level of training and the number of people you have. Uh, if you have the appropriate trained people there and it's something you practice on the field of play, I feel very comfortable doing that. Uh, but it's, sometimes it depends on the response and the size. You know, uh, what I do at the University of Georgia in a Division One setting or in the NFL may be much different than what you do in a high school with one person there. So what we want to teach is be competent, practice the skills, and then based on the situation you have at hand, make that decision. You know, if you're if you're one person in a high school athletic training situation, it may be best to maintain C-spine stabilization Call 911 and wait for EMS to arrive. We have more personnel there, and you can do it together. Or it may be better to wait till they're at the hospital and you have more personnel there. But I think it depends. If you've got trained, experienced people there in that setting, it's perfectly uh, uh, appropriate to take it off. Glenn, okay. uh, you work a lot with the EMS people. So what's your encouragement to athletic trainers and other groups to make sure that, as I always say, that the time uh, – to meet people is before the game. It's not the time to introduce, introduce yourself during a crisis and that, but how can you encourage people to help align their protocols, their thinking, their working together? What can they do in the preseason to really get ready uh, so they can work together? Make them part of the team. 
and that's gonna uh, a big part of it. Communication, establishing that early, going out and introducing themselves to the EMS uh, service that's in their area, um, talking to them about what their local protocol calls, protocols are, who their medical director is, um, where their transport destinations are, uh, what level of coverage do they supp- uh, supply? Are they advanced life support? Are they basic life support? And then again, at the game time, uh, that should already already be established. They know who's there. Um, that medical timeout is just so important before the game starts every time in making sure that you're all on the same page. Like you said, the time to try to establish that relationship is not when you're standing over a down athlete on the field. You should already know each other and everybody's capabilities because everybody's there for the common goal. And that's to take care of that athlete the best that they can. Okay, great. Ron, just speaking as we wrap up here, speaking from a safety perspective, uh, what would you encourage coaches, parents, and athletes to be aware of to make their experience and their venue a safe place to play? I think it starts with prevention. You know, the more things we can prevent, uh, the better we are. Uh, I think the first and maybe the most important thing is making sure every year you have a comprehensive pre-participation physical exam. Uh, where we can identify, number one, to make sure you're healthy to play and maybe identify some things that we can be proactive about and keep from becoming a problem. So I, I think probably the most important one is your exam. And the other thing, just have a safe environment. You know, particularly we're talking about spine injuries, technique is so important. Heads up football, see what you hit, you know, avoid the actual mechanism that causes the vast majority of injuries. So safe technique, proper coaching, and having your physical. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom regarding sports safety. And we appreciate your continued advocacy and support. And thank you for joining us today on the Youth Sports Safety Update. So thank you all very much. Thank you. For more information, go to jaxsmp.com to learn more about the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program and the Youth Sports Safety Update. So thank you for joining us today. And please keep them safe. Thank you.